0: Who you are defines how you build. This is the Entrepreneurial Thought Leaders Series, brought to you by Stanford eCorner. On today's episode, we have Emily Melton, a partner at the venture capital firm DFJ. Emily has spent her career focusing on early-stage startups that are looking to make positive change in the world. Here's Emily.
1: Thank you guys so much for having me here this afternoon. Uh, I want to say it's honored, but I think the right way of phrasing it is humbled. I'm very humbled to be here. I was in your chairs. Well, your proverbial chairs. I did not have nearly as nice of buildings when I came here 20 years ago. Uh, And I was trying to think, when I was asked to do this speech, I got the email. uh, And my first thought was, that sounds like a lot of work. I'm really busy this fall. How do I get out of it? Stress. I don't really have anything that relevant or interesting to say. Um, and as soon as I started to think about how I could make up an excuse, my computer dinged and there was a note from Heidi Roizen, who's here supporting me in the audience, which literally said, you must do this. And so I realized there was no way I was getting out of it. So I had to be here today and do this presentation. And then I started the daunting task of thinking, what do I want to say? What would I have wanted to hear when I was sitting in your seats two decades ago? What would have been useful? And at um, this time, I was actually on a vacation, and this is a picture of where I was. I was in Wyoming. It's one of my favorite places in the world. I go there every single summer. Uh, and I got a text from my brother said, quote, kick-ass hike, you game. I was in a mood of saying yes, so I said, sure, I'm going to give this speech, and I'll I'll go on this hike. Uh, and as I started on this hike and this journey, uh, and I was thought this would be a good day to to prepare for the fall, and honestly, think about what I was going to talk about. I started to really see this as a metaphor for my own experiences over the past two decades, but also just a lot of people that I've known, a lot of the successful people, a lot of the entrepreneurs, a lot of the challenges that they faced. So basically, I'm going to take you through this hike. Um, it's a behind-the-scenes uh, reality of, of what that experience was and kind of layering how that's relevant for me. If I have any hope for today, um, it's that there's something in this presentation, some nugget of advice that is either aspirational or comforting for you over the next two decades of your life. So who am I? Um, that, the, the intros always sound great. Um, Emily Melton, I'm 42 years old. I, uh, I was the oldest of six kids. Uh, I grew up in Utah. One of my, mom, ma- my mother grew up on a mink ranch and my dad grew up on a chicken farm. Uh, and they moved to Salt Lake uh, to get out of their farming community. Uh, My mom did go to college, but she was told by her college counselor that the only school that was really relevant for her was beauty school. And so both of my parents had a very, very strong belief in education and a very, very strong belief that I needed to leave Utah. Uh, And that was the one thing. They didn't care where I went to school. They kind of cared. But they really needed, it had to be outside of Utah. And when I started to show some academic progress or promise, my dad bought me a Harvard sweatshirt and I spent the next couple of years trying to convince him that Stanford was the Harvard of the West. Now, for you guys, I think we all know that Harvard is the Stanford of the, of the East, so it's a much easier pitch. Um, but I was grateful enough to get to come here. Uh, undergrad, 2000, and the GSB in 2005. I'm now one of five general partners at DFJ, which is a 35-year-old venture capital firm. Uh, and as was mentioned earlier, I spent a lot of my time investing in consumer marketplaces. I was an early board in, uh, member an investor in Redfin, an online real estate transaction platform. Uh, I'm on the board of a company called Shift, which is a used car marketplace. And I also spend a lot of time in healthcare and pretty broadly healthcare IT services, mobile technologies, and more recently looking at AI and ML and how those can transform diagnostics and drug discovery. So the simplicity or the simple way of saying it, I like big hairy problems that are complex. Um, and I really love really passionate people that are working to solve those problems. So we're gonna talk about a hike. And this is where you get the, the person comes up here, the proverbial successful person, and tells you you're going to go on a hike, and this is what you want to vision, right? You think it's going to be someone who's really successful. This woman looks like someone who can scale a really big, you know, a, a big mountain and do it without breaking sweat um, simply. The reality is, is this is the person who hiked um, up the hill. And we don't have to say exactly how many pounds over that, you know, previous picture, but many, (laughs) and many pounds over from when I sat in those chairs. I was not the kind of person who was in really good physical shape to go on the kind of hike. Um, I wasn't necessarily thinking that this was gonna be something that I was capable of doing. Uh, And I think that's really important. When I think about a venture capitalist, when I started, I said I was political science and philosophy undergrad here. Um, I thought I was gonna go to law school because I thought you know, if you're successful, you get into a good college, you're either a lawyer and a doctor. Didn't really like blood, so I'll go be a lawyer. Um, I applied, had some success getting into to law schools, but needed to make some money or wanted to make some money before taking on more debt. Um, started working in a law practice and hated it. And it was 99, 2000, and I started getting all these job offers because it was crazy, and they were just literally trying to hire everybody. And I remember both being humbled by the job offers and very confused on how these companies could pay me so much money and why they wanted me. Uh and I remember I sat down with one of the CEOs who had offered me um to join his company in Corp Dev. Uh and I thought, I'm gonna be, I'm not a business person, but I'm gonna ask the business questions, right? Let's spend time on the business. He's like, what are your profits? Well, we don't have profits. What are your revenues? We don't have revenues. And I was like, how do you have money to pay me? Like, how <laughs> how on earth are you running this? And he said, Well, we get money from venture capitalists. So I thought, well, that makes a lot of sense. I wasn't hadn't been spending time in a lot of these rooms. I didn't really fully understand the VC industry, but I realized for me to make a good decision on the kinds of company I wanted to go work at, I should understand the flow of money. And so through my network, I sent notes to all the VCs uh, at all of the companies that I was interviewing in, and one of them was Tim Draper. He offered to meet with me. Um, Mostly I sweet-talked his assistant, who then made him spend 20 minutes with me. Uh, And I came in with a list of questions about the company. And I started with a question, and he was like, that's a pretty good question. He's like, what you've got there? And I was like, it's a list of questions. He's like, why don't you just go through the whole list? So I went through my list of questions, and at the end of it, he said, those are really good questions. Why don't you just come do that for me? Do what? He was like, ask companies that come in those questions. That, that's what we do. We, we ask them questions, and we decide whether or not we're going to invest. So I remember I left, and I was sitting in the car in the parking lot, and I called my boyfriend, now my husband, and said, I think I just got a job in venture capital. He so said, no one gets a job in venture capital. But sure enough, I got to come back in, meet with more of the partners, and a couple weeks later, I was the first analyst that they had ever hired. So, What's the, men- the, the story? This is a woman who shouldn't be hiking up the side of a mountain because she really needs to hit the gym more frequently. This also is not someone who looks like a venture capitalist. I did not look like a venture capitalist at the time. I didn't have the background. I didn't have the experience. Don't let anyone else tell you what you're capable of. Don't let anyone's other's views of what you think a person should be in order to be that successful. It's an unnecessary barrier. We all talk about unconscious bias and how that hurts others, and it's absolutely true. But what's also really important for you to all realize is those biases, those images in your head, can hurt yourself. So this is the hike. Um, as I, I mentioned earlier, uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and the Tetons in particular, are my happy place. Um, it's where I find peace, and I always I am happiest when I'm in the western mountains. And I wanted to read you the uh, the description of the hike. I was um, asking my brother as we went in, um, you know, how I knew basically it was about fifteen mile hike. Um, he said it would take about a day. And as I'm uh, driving in, um this is actually on the other side. So Wyoming is on the other side of the Teton, so this is on the Idaho side. Um, this was the description in the trail book that he handed me as we started you know, driving uh, into the park. It's long and it's strenuous, but if you're in the physical condition and you have the persistence it takes, you will remember it for the rest of your life. It's a hike for which you must work for it and work for your reward, but there will not be a disappointment at the end. So this is as we're driving in. The hike starts kind of at that tree line, and as I pull in that little where the arrow is pointing, that kind of flat area as you look beyond and then you see the Tetons, that's where I'm hiking up to. So what's the point of this? <laughs> um, this is kind of like the future, right? I didn't know what I was getting up into. I didn't really understand what this was actually going to mean or what it was going to look like when I went up there. Um, but I had the aspiration to figure out a way to make my myself somehow haul my butt up to that place. Goals are really important. Aspirations are really, really important but you don't know exactly what it's going to be. And so you have to also be very comfortable with uncertainty. Um, it's not going to ever follow the exact path. And when you look for it in the same way that's kind of fuzzy and it's really challenging and just exactly what that looks like, you're going to have the same problems. You want to set a big, hairy, ambitious goals, but you have to recognize that it's not going to go exactly as planned. I have the privilege of my job to get to meet with some of the best entrepreneurs and some of the iconic entrepreneurs Over the last two decades, and the things that they all have in common is he or she comes in with an ambitious and bold goal. Um, They have a vision of the future, and almost in every single one of those instances, it never works out exactly as they planned. That slide deck is not followed. Those financial projections are completely off. Um, But it's that ambition that pushes them forward, that gets them out, that gets them to experience their own levels of success. This is the the kind of thing that struck me multiple times throughout the hike, was how the experience kept changing um, as I was, I was going up. And like that saying, the future, you don't know exactly where you're going. You know, a mile in, the hike looked very different than it did five miles in, than it did on the way down. Um, and I kept thinking about the word perspective, and perspective is really relevant in two ways. One, it's how you, you know, what you see is going to change based off of where you are. Right? As you move forward, as you, like, this looks different if I'm heading this way and in this part of the room. It looks different if I'm in the back of the room. Where you physically are changes how you see the world. Uh, and that's one concept. And that was absolutely true of how I experienced this hike. But the other thing is, is how you see the world changes. And what do I mean by that? Because you change. I am a different person than I was when I was sitting in the proverbial chairs two decades ago. And you were all going to change. Multiple times, I continue to change. The way that I see the world today is very different than even how I saw it just a year ago. And so that's that level of perspective and that, the that, again, that comfort with uncertainty, that where you go and as you move along the journey, your visual field is going to change, your field of opportunity is going to change, but also you're going to change. Um, you're going to become different, and that's okay too. So as soon as we get in on the hike... Um, We've tra- it actually took us some time to, to find this because it wasn't particularly well marked. This is the only, the only sign on the entire trail that we saw. So for those that are on the podcast, it basically says trail not maintained, very steep, not recommended. What a great start, right? <laughs> um, so this is kind of, you know, this, one of the things is you have to be comfortable and I commit and digging in. The other thing is, is these signs are going to appear multiple times in your life. Becoming an entrepreneur is never a rational choice. There's always an easier way to make money or an easier way um, to find some level of immediate success. Anything worth doing is going to be hard. Anything that gets you to those next levels and gets you to where you want to be is going to be challenging. And so whether it's actually a physical sign like this or someone who explicitly tells you you can't be a VC, Emily. You study political science and philosophy. Who the hell do you think you are? Who's going to want your advice? Or it's someone implicitly who just walks out of the room and says, there's nothing really useful for you here. Don't let any of these signs ever stop you. It's not to say that you're going to be successful. It's not to say that it's guaranteed that you will make it to the end. But how the hell are you going to know if you don't even try? Um, the trail was not maintained. <laughs> and there were multiple times where we were wandering around. Um, and one of the things that you, know, you recognize is no journey is the same for every person. So as I'm trying to give you advice, this isn't the checklist of here's how to get to be a successful VC. Or here's how to build a successful company. Or here's how to do, I hate those. You know, they, Everybody wakes up at 5 a.m. Everyone somehow works out, meditates, eat well, has great kids. And you read it and you're like, this is impossible. And the reality is that it's always impossible. There's no checklist. There's no template for success. In the same way, there's no clear trail that's going to tell you how to get up this hill. Every single one of you is going to have multiple kind of challenges in your own right. Every single one of you's journey it's going to be different. Um, but that doesn't mean that you should go in without actually understanding what's happened in the past or who came before you. Whenever I have an entrepreneur come and pitch me, and I, they always come in really passionate, I'm going to disrupt this industry. Well, that's great. Um, why hasn't it happened in the past? Who's tried and failed? What did you learn from those lessons? That's not to say that that because it has failed in the past, it's going to fail in the future, but not actually taking the time to understand what has happened in the past is putting you at risk for the future. So as we're hiking up this trail, I don't know if you guys see these stack of rocks, do any of you guys know what those are called? Cairns? So cairns are where you put a stack of rock as you're walking up the hill, and if the trail is not well marked, people put cairns. So the people who come before you, put those as markers so when you don't know where to go you can kind of look out and follow some kind of a path this to me is like the mentors people in your life who've been there before the trail is going to be different conditions have changed snow wind rain can knock these things over or it doesn't they're going to have a, they will have had a different experience going up or down but it's still helpful to see and leave those marks and so seek advice seek mentors if there's one regret that i have it wasn't good enough about seeking mentors early on in my career. Um because there's so many mistakes that you can avoid by just asking people for help along the way. And the other big piece and one thing I'm more proud of as I've gotten to a certain age is that you leave them for the others as they come down. Pay it forward. You now, there was often there was times where we ended up on a very different path and with our um uh, we actually had a GPS and navigation we managed to get back onto the right place, but we said we went back and it took us about an hour, but to leave the cairns for the others coming behind behind us because we recognized that it was going to be really challenging if we didn't actually leave some markers. So we hiked up this this, um, that that face trail, and the face trail is essentially two miles straight up. Um, It felt like 90 degrees. I'm just going to say it was like this. (laughs) It certainly felt like that for me. Um, I was bred. I was exhausted. And you come around a bend, and you start to see this trail. Uh, and it looks, you know, the trail's out ahead of you, and I can see table rock um, on the future. And I am thinking, as my daughter likes to say, easy peasy. Like, okay, I've got this. The worst is behind me. And now I'm gonna be able to move forward. And it looks accessible. It looks like something, I can almost touch it, right? That perspective has changed, but it's it's close enough. I can almost touch it. This is very true of pro- professional careers, and I don't know. How many of you read Angela Duckworth or Grit and different, the first trajectories of any kind of learning a new skill, getting into a profession, it's the steepest. Um, it's also the most kind of thrilling because you're just trying to, you're just moving forward. You're putting it all out. You're giving it all um, to just getting to that next level of success. And then you hit a point where it often feels like a plateau. And this, where well, you think it's actually the good part is actually one of the most dangerous parts of any any journey or any professional trajectory. And that's because you want things to be easy. You think because you've gotten to a certain point that you deserve it. You can see it. It should happen. Um, and oftentimes, people don't actually push themselves beyond it. So you can see there's like a little dark kind of blip in that that has an arrow. It was, a mi- it was about a mile of this. That little blip in the distance, you couldn't actually see. There was no trail. It was completely just a rocks. And every single step was one where you could sprain your ankle. It wasn't as treacherous as the climb. It wasn't as physically exhausting, right? Um, but it was a slog. Um, and you felt that that phase seemed to take forever because you did not feel like you were moving forward. Uh, this is something that happens pretty frequently in life, and it's really And sometimes you just have to remember that even though it feels like a slog and you don't feel like you're making nearly as much progress as you would. You're putting it all, you're putting it out there, but it's just one step in front of the other. Just remember forward momentum. It's okay. Um, And in the same way that you couldn't see from that slide before, it didn't look like there was a challenge. This is oftentimes what I see with a lot of the companies that I'm involved in, is they go through the scaling thing. They've raised tons of money. They have great board of directors. They've got revenues. And everyone from the outside thinks this is easy peasy. It's just going to be a path. And scaling businesses, hiring lots of employees, the problems become different. The problems become a different kind of complexity. And it's not as sexy. It's not as fun. Um, and it feels like a slog. And it's hard because from the outside, everyone thinks you should do is racing up to the top of the mountain. But you've been slowed down. So when you hate one of those periods of your life, and you will... You will get through the rock field. It is possible, but take time. Um, don't sprain an ankle. Then there's other kinds of challenges. So, getting up to that very, very edge of the of Table Rock um, was essentially there was no trail. It was just free free form climbing straight up the hill. <laughs> um, and this sometimes there the the rock field is possible. There's nothing you know. You know you can get through it. It's just going to be a grind. It's slog. It's not fun. There are other phases where you're not sure you're actually going to be able to make it. It doesn't seem physically possible. It doesn't seem mentally possible. It seems like everything is stacked against you. Um, you have companies that can't raise a round of capital. You have companies where their largest um, customer suddenly quits. You have um, friends that get sick. That's something that as you get older in life, you start to have different kind of complexities, different kind of, of challenges. Uh, and one of the things I've seen over and over is that you just have to recognize that you're going to do the best you can going up this, and you're going to get hurt and bruised along the way. I got some pretty, pretty nasty bruises. I got a really nice gash trying to make my way up this. Um, and I had my brother, who was an amazing support person for me, pulling me and trying to get there and getting some of the rope set so it wouldn't be quite as as challenging. Uh, but some of those times are going to happen, and you just have to give it all you can to get through it. This is what it ends up when you look like. And I don't know how many of you guys care about the mountains, but this was one of my the favorite things I've seen. It was just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, but you're also, and this isn't the purview, you get up to this table rock and you look around and you feel a sense of accomplishment and I'm happy. And then I look around and I recognize there are all of these other peaks around me. They are all higher. I have just worked my ass off and there's still a lot of other cooler places to go <laughs> that even have better views. <laughs> And that's one of the hardest things um, about going through these journeys, is once you actually get, again, that perspective, once you get to one point, you just get a different purview. Um, and you start to even open up broader and broader possibilities of what's, um, what's possible. I know a lot of really, really successful people. I've got the privilege in the last two decades to get to know many people on different stages of their journeys. And one of the travesties is knowing these extremely successful people who end up being so deeply, deeply unhappy. Um, and one of the things you constantly see that is there is that they can't take the moment to both enjoy their success and still be excited by the challenges of climbing those other peaks. And that's in the duopoly that you're going to have to get comfortable with as you think through it, is that you want to actually, you want to, to celebrate the hard work. You want to celebrate when you have these moments and you get to those, those peaks, but you also have to recognize there's going to be valleys and other peaks ahead of it, and that's okay, too. Don't get too daunted if it isn't, you're not ever gonna be on the highest peak in the world, you're not ever gonna be the most successful person in the world and stay there. Um, You can have those moments, and be happy, but also recognize there's other challenges ahead. How many of you guys are on Instagram? I don't know, is that still cool? Some, not many. (laughs) Um, One of the things that I find really daunting uh, in this current environment is how much we all got in, we get inundated, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever the current mode is, um, with the highlight reel, right? So this was the picture I took. This is what got posted on Instagram, right? Yay, look at me. I am so awesome. I'm at the top of this mountain. Uh, there wasn't a picture of me red-faced and panting. There wasn't a picture of my brother just doing everything possible to try to pull my fat butt up the side of the hill. None of those were make it to the glory shots, um, but this one does. And so I think it's really important as you guys think about particularly as you're inundated with more and more of those highlight reels, more and more of those pictures of people coming in, is recognizing that for every accomplishment, for every one of those moments that you want to enjoy in the peak, there's enormous amount of other, there's the behind the scenes, there were other challenges, there were a lot of ugly things that often had to happen to make something look pretty. Um, this is even no more true than it is, and I see this over business. So I mentioned that I was on the board of, of Redfin, um, and in professional successes, you tend to see the person when they're on the cover of the magazine, or we celebrate these moments, right? So this is when Redfin went public about two years ago. And everyone is smiling and beaming, and it looks like a 10-year overnight success, right? Obvious, great founder. Everyone's high-fiving each other. Also, everyone wants to be in this picture. Those moments of success, that's where fr- everybody comes out of the woodwork and wants to be right by your side with a big smile. I invested in the company in 2007. 2008, we had the financial crisis. Um, The real estate market completely tanked. Uh, No one who wanted to buy a home could get a loan. And those people that did want to sell a home on our platform, the prices were 30 to 40% lower. We had had a board meeting about a year year and a half into the investment um, where I sat with the friendly, smiley guy, Glenn Kelman, in the middle, um, who was shaking and trying to hold back tears because we had to lay off 20% of the company. It was critical to be able to get the company through this phase. We knew the revenues were going to slow. We knew that we needed to make the money last a little bit longer. But he had hired those people. He had told those individuals that he was going to do everything possible to ensure the success of this company. And he felt um, deeply conflicted and like a failure that he hadn't been able to live up to that promise. That's not a moment where you whip out your camera and say, hey, cheese, I want to take this and remember this in the dark times, right? Those moments aren't captured. And oftentimes, those moments aren't even told. Um, but for any of those glory moments that you see, you have multiple stories like that in the background. And what you need to do is recognize that sometimes those people that surround you, you want to celebrate the glory moments. And it's OK to have those people come. But make sure that the people who are with you when the times are really, really tough are also there. Because those are the true people that you really need by your side. Those are the ones that know what it took for you to get there. And again, understand who you are and who you had to become in order to have that kind of success. So I get up there and you think, yay, I'm done. And I'm not. <laughs> it's actually a shorter hike up than it is to go down. Uh, and that was a really, so it really was just starting. I wasn't even halfway done with the day. Uh, and that is one of the really important things to recognize is that you start these things and you're just Beginning. <laughs> um, anytime you think you have a moment of success or you think you've reached, reached something, there's always another place to go. I call this the if only phenomenon. And I really, my husband and I ended up going through a phase where we started to ban if only. Um, if only I get into Stanford, everything will be okay. If only I could get a job at this firm, then things will be better. If only I could make this amount of money then life would totally change. Uh, And what we've realized is we had our if only, if only, and as soon as you go past them, you realize there was a whole new set of if onlys, and there was never that moment where you felt fully relieved. Now, obviously, when you have, you don't have to worry about making rent, those are free. There are some basic things that make life easier. I don't want to take away from that. Um, But these if onlys that thinking that there's a magical place or a magical accomplishment will somehow transform everything, it just doesn't exist. The other thing that's really interesting is that going down was a very different physical phenomenon. Um, you think it's really challenging to go up, and it is. It's, it's an exertion. You are going everything you can to try to climb that hill. And then you get there, and you start heading down, and you're no longer fighting gravity. right? Gravity is now your friend. Um, but that weight had a whole new set of problems. Right. That hurt your knees and my hips. And it was really treacherous. Cause if you fall on the way down, you don't just kind of fall forward and catch yourself. You go rolling. Right. And I sometimes feel like success is this for people. It's gravity. So it's a little bit, you should think it should make it easier. Right. Like you've actually gotten there. You have gravity on your side, but it can also be a real burden and strain. And sometimes the implications of that become even bigger. Um, when you get to a point point, you think gravity, you think, I, I can just fly down. And that never really works. <laughs> you still have to be methodical. In some ways, you almost have to slow down and be even more careful and make sure you even have better trail companions to hold your hand so you don't stumble and fall because that fall is the one that could really do you in. When I see different people on different trajectories of success, one of the most important things is keeping that feedback loop, um, making sure there are people that keep them honest. There's actually been a study that was done Um, The uh, Atlantic wrote a great article about it that basically showed that people with power can sometimes experience something that's relative to mental illness, um, where power actually has a thing to physically change your mind. And uh, I was telling this to a friend, and she said, yeah, well, of course, like the only people who throw tantrums are three-year-olds and billionaires. Three-year-olds, because they're pushing the limits to see and get told no? And billionaires, because no one ever tells them no anymore, so they lose that idea of of how to actually control themselves. And so when you think about that weight, you get to different phases of your life. Sometimes it's equally important to make sure that you have those people who say no, because as you're going down, if you're like, I could run down the hill, like I'm this great person, people say, yeah, sure. You get a lot of yes people. You get get a lot of sycophants who want to tell you what you think you want to hear. And it's really, really critical in those moments to make sure that you have the right people by you who are keeping you honest. Tell you when to slow down, so you don't actually take that deep fumble or deep stumble down the hill. So this is the the same kind of thing we keep talking about: is that it's the it's the peaks and valleys, uh, and that's <laughs> um, you always have to dig down deep and start to think about where you want to go next. Uh, recognize that um, it, life it's 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 long, but it's also short, uh, and so you really want to think about how you can enjoy the different stages of it. We went through this this hike, and as I came down, um, I was struck at how that last portion of the hike had some of the most beautiful parts of it because I actually took some time to look, and I could. Um, On the way up, I took no photos (laughs) other than that that trail sign. Um, And on the way down, I took multiple photos, and I will spare you of those, but there was a mama moose and a baby moose. There was baby bears climbing up. There was... You know these amazing mountain ridges, and uh, you can't even capture the glory of the um, of these wildflowers that were just there were just fields and fields of wildflowers, uh, and it was the same like this was the same area, but I actually took the time um, to step back um, and enjoy some of it and start to think about where I would go next. So here's some of the kind of takeaways, if you will. Um, use the trail as your guide. It's a guide, but it's not guardrails. Again every, like the trail changes daily based off of the conditions. Every single one of you will have your own journey. Um, you'll have your own challenges, uh, your own opportunities. Uh, but take the time to kind of see how others have gone before you. Um, learn from their lessons. Listen to some of that perspective because it could help make your journey a little bit better. Choose your trail companions wisely. Um, the obvious thing is everyone says like who you choose is your life partner. It's more than true. I can honestly say I would not be here uh, without, you know, my husband, um, but also a couple of really, really important and key friends. Uh, and those are the people that are the behind the scenes that that don't worry about the highlight reel and they're not the ones who are liking me on Instagram or retweeting when I have a good moment, but the people that I can have real conversations with who spend the real time with me. We're really, really bad at visualizing the future. And just the same way, I had no idea what I was going as I saw, you know, that, that, um, that little lump out in the distance. Um, you don't know, you can set aspirations, but you don't know what your future holds. Uh, I was talking with a good friend who was, had dinner with a, a well-known, I know, writes to this story, so I will, but billionaire female you all know. Uh, and she was talking about how very early on in her career, uh, she went to a successful person's home and sat on the patio to talk about a business deal, and she looked out in his backyard, And there were eight trees. And she sat there and thought, wow, one day I hope I'm rich enough that I can have a house with a big backyard and get eight trees. Fast forward many decades later, many homes later, she was at her ranch uh, in Southern California, looking out at her backyard on multiple acres and thought, I have a lot of trees. I wonder how many trees I actually had, So she went and hired someone to go and count the trees. And it was 75,000 trees that were on this property. Uh, and so that I thought is like, it's not those bold aspirations, sitting there and saying, what can other people, you know, what does other success look like? Those are good, they're, they're again, those are interesting trails and you can learn from that, but you have no idea what you're really capable of. Um, you don't know what your future can actually hold and keep that in mind because it's not fixed. It's not gonna happen on a certain timeline. And you can all find your own force in your own way. Um, and this like this thing of don't let if I can have one thing I really, really want everyone to take away, um, because I struggled with this for a long time early on, is don't let anyone else define what you're capable of or tell you what success should look like. Uh a good friend of mine always says you can't be what you can't see. Uh, and that's been a big movement for us. Uh um, a lot of the, the female women and the female partners in venture capital are trying to be more prominent because we realize for us to be able to recruit more women into venture, they need to see that you can be successful as a woman in the industry. And that's all well and good, and that's true. Um, you want to have more prominent people. But I also hope we get to the point where you don't need to see it to believe it. You don't need to see someone else who looks like you or has the same background as you or follow that to believe that you're capable of it. Don't let any sign or any definition of another person's what it takes to be successful to hold you back. So the last little pit, set your sights high, get started, never give up, um, but the, the trail and the destination destination will surprise you. So I, this is, uh, we have some time left, so if you guys have any questions for me, it doesn't have to be about hiking, it doesn't have to be about my uh, my mountain experiences, it can be anything uh, related to, to venture capital or any of my experiences. Yes.
0: At the beginning, you mentioned you wish you would leverage mentors more. Yeah. Uh, do you have any practical <coughs> strategies on how to use mentors as we go through this part uh, of our lives?
1: Yeah. One of the hardest things about mentors is you can't go and say, "Hey, will you be my mentor?" Because um, that's like that's not the right way of starting those conversations. And I one of the um, kind of key principles that I live by that I think is particularly relevant for this is the principle of reciprocity. Right? You give and then you get. And when you think about what is that exchange between what you, you have at this moment of usually in your career, which is time, raw capability and intellect and eagerness. And what do the people that you want to be mentored? They don't have time. They have a ton of people who are asking for lots of things. And they, most people are asking and not giving to them. And so if you can find someone that you want to learn from and you can think about what can I give them? What are things that I can free up? What is that that, someone's really interested in the space let me go and you know show them compile all this research about what would be interesting and tell them the like for me four or five companies that would be useful right then that starts the relationship where then it's if someone if you give someone something here i want to be helpful to you can i have 5 10 minutes of your time that starts it and like how can i be helpful and keep going through that process um, that was something that I, I i didn't really figure out early on enough in my career um, so that's one one piece Um, And the other thing is, it's really hard when you're on that steep phase of the career (laughs) to ask for help, right? It's just you want to act like you know. I remember sitting in so many rooms so many times in my career was like, I have no idea what the hell is going on. But if I, like, I say something, people are going to think I'm dumb. Um, So I'm just going to sit here and nod. And what I found as I've gotten older is that, like, now half of the time I'm like, no, I don't understand. I'm sorry, You're, you're making it too complicated. Explain it to me. Like, you found that people, as they get more comfortable, are the ones that are really wanting to under- understand, really want to know, versus actually pretend they know. Um, and that's a really powerful thing where those mentors or others, where you're asking those questions and just admitting that you need help. Give yourself the opportunity to let someone explain something. People like explaining things. Like, you guys get whole speaker series to come up here and explain something or talk. People like talking about their experiences. So give them that opportunity.
0: Yes? I have a question about your experience at DFJ. Yeah. Um, so what was some of the decision-making criteria that went into <coughs> your involvement with Theranos? And um, was, or are there any lessons that you as a firm learned?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so I personally was not involved in anything. Have, I've never actually met Elizabeth Holmes. Um, the, the firm's investment in Theranos was a seed investment. And it was led by Tim Draper. He had known Elizabeth. She was friends with his daughter. Um, and so at the time, we had uh, a policy where any partner could basically um, write a small check into a company if they were passionate about it, if it wasn't a board seat, and it was below a million dollars. So I don't know the exact amount, but it was something like $500,000 that was put in, never had a board seat, never had information rights. So that was kind of the extent of the, the decision. Um, so basically, there wasn't a lot. <laughs> at the time, it was just, hey, I think she's a really smart person. But there's something that goes beyond that, and this is actually important. And that goes to those that highlight reel where lots of people want to come and take success, right? One of the challenges is like when something got more successful, a lot of people want to talk about it more and take claim and act like it was a brilliant insight. Like we oftentimes don't admit, "Hey, I just got lucky." No one says that, right? I didn't know what I was doing. I just got lucky. And so you want to say, "Oh, yeah, we saw that it was going to be huge." Um, So the risk wasn't in the decision making; it was trying to actually. Um, certain individuals taking more credit or wanting to be more associated with it when it became successful. Um, I do a lot of my investing in healthcare, and so I don't get this question just in a, an audience. I get it from entrepreneurs that are like, "Can I take your money? Do you know what the hell you're doing, and are you going to lead me astray?" Uh, and one of the most important things is that healthcare is a dr- tricky beast. It is different. You know, Mark Zuckerberg move fast and break things, and healthcare it's move slowly and don't kill people. It's really critical. Um, and so you have to appreciate there's opportunities to change things and do it differently, but have some humility in terms of the regulatory environment and the hoops that people go through to ensure that level of success. I um have invested in a company that recently it was the first time I'd gone through an FDA approval process, uh, which we were very it's a de novo process, and we were very, very pleased to get through it. And it was a great, was there was a, the team had an enormous amount of humility. We hadn't gone through it, they had good conversations with the FDA. But they took not only the technical innovation, but to recognize that you also need to, you know, to shore up that, to understand all of those other components, and not just think that you can get to be famous enough or make statements that people will let you go by. That doesn't work in healthcare. Yes? Yeah. Could you
0: speak a little bit more about your experience as an analyst coming into the and how you uh, dealt with the... Some, maybe some of those feelings of uh, not being qualified or or being what a VC typically
1: looks like. Yeah, that's like a therapy bill that I have not yet paid. <laughs> Eventually, I will. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I was asking what it was like to come in as an analyst to DFJ, and oftentimes basically feeling like you don't belong in the room, right? Um, feeling like the imposter syndrome, how did I get here? So yeah, it, it, the... One of the things that I have found as I've gotten older and you can start to actually be authentic and have real conversations with people is you think it's just you. You know, you think it's your insecurities or your issues. Um, I can't remember Heidi's exact phrase, but you're in your 20s, you think everybody's thinking about you. In your 30s, you, you know, you don't worry as much about it. (laughs) In your 40s, you stop caring. In your 50s, you realize no one was thinking about you at all in the first place. Um, I was so focused on, I didn't have a technical background. I, how is this going to work? That I was, I was leading and, you know, feeding my own securities. And I really remember there was a, a, a period of time where people were talking about the pipeline problem. There aren't enough women to come into venture capital. And there was a, a, a panel that was going on where they were all men and they were all talking about this challenge they all faced. There just weren't enough technical women to deal with this. And someone sent it to me, one of my girlfriends, and put arrows above. And it was like BA history. BA, and none of them had a technical background, and I was just like, you know, the ability to actually say that you have to be, you have to have this, but I somehow am different. That was a big moment for me because that freed me um, in recognizing that people will say things, but then everyone wants to be the exception. Uh, and if you ask most of my entrepreneurs or founders what they do when they're, if I know the business better than them, if I'm the one actually doing the programming, I'm the one. Like we're in a whole world of hurt, right? What they really want is someone who is strategically helping them think through the challenges that they have. Those are regulatory issues. Those are market issues. Those are hiring issues. Uh, And that is actually an area where I had philosophy serve me very well. It was a very, very good training for strategic thinking um, and learning to question things and deeply question things and challenge assumptions. And so instead of like, I felt like there was a phase where I was leaning out and I did feel that imposter. There's a break in my life where I kind of just stopped caring. And then I leaned in and embraced it more. Um, and it was amazing to me, once I stopped worrying about what people thought and just leaned in and was very honest about who I was, how much more the world opened up to me and how much more I was accepted. Um, so, the people who really matter don't really care. Anything else?
0: You kind of touched on you said you got your bachelor's in political philosophy and then I heard you talking about going through the FDA process. And one of the things I was going to ask is,
1: You said the philosophy helped you as you went through your career. Yeah. If you were to do it
0: again, would you say your political philosophy degree actually benefited you throughout your career, even if it wasn't designed for the exact career you chose? And
1: which major do you think you would do instead if you were to do it over? Um, So I actually did. I did political science and philosophy because there isn't a political philosophy major here. I don't know if there is um, now. And I did a program called Ethics and Society. Um, to actually really delve into it, Uh, and when I was here was when they were just doing the first work on the Human Genome Project, Uh, and so a lot of it was a lot of the discussions in the classes we had, which is how do you actually think about the ethical implications of advances of different kinds of technologies, and this time a lot of that was in genetic materials. Um, I also, you know, I I spent a lot of time also looking at political institutions and prison reform and others, Uh, but it was really taking an ethical and a moral kind of a lens, an objective lens to different changes in society um, and evaluating whether or not we were doing those well. It's funny, now you fast forward to what's happening actually in, our, in the world <laughs> where so many of these amazing advancements that were venture-backed and these technologies now have these unforeseen consequences and people are surprised by how these technologies could be used against them. You know, would having that framework, does having that perspective, you know, would that have been useful? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I've actually helped keep a lot of my companies out of trouble um, because of that perspective, and I think that they do value it. I would say one thing: I don't know what I would do. Like, I there isn't any major or any particular skill that it's like a, a trade that is going to necessarily pre- predict where you should go in the future. Um, I really, as anytime I fund a company, I do send them the growth mindset. <laughs> um, which is that not thinking that it's fixed, not thinking that there's one way of doing things, but it's constantly learning, um, and growing and evolving. And particularly in the field where I am in venture capital and entrepreneurship, like the computer programming's changed, the assumptions change, the modalities change, the only thing that is constant is change and that you want to move things forward. So, more about having that nimble mindset and thinking about, how you can predict things that aren't based off of the past, but where you think it's going. Um, there's a lot of things that could be useful with that. History, Mike Moritz, like you have a PR and historian that can actually think through that. Um, so lots of different, it's more of an ability to kind of think and train yourself to think differently than it is about any particular skill. Side note, I think a lot of it is like computer programming, that's all great. If I'm looking at the future where I'm spending a lot of time, where I'm most excited, this convergence of biology and technology, what we know about our bodies. Like I, my husband always says we're practicing medicine because we don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> and I really believe the way that my children experience um, healthcare and the way the information that's unlocked from genetic materials and all the new kinds of computer computational models are being applied to all this, this proliferation of data is going to be substantial. So if I could go back and learn a trade, that would probably be one where i want to spend time, but there's no, I would have been, it wouldn't have been nearly as useful the last two decades. Uh, last question, right? Okay. In
0: your investing in healthcare, are you focused on a specific disease process? Or are you focused on the genetics aspect? Are you focused on, on age demographic like seniors, children? Or where is your personal passion?
1: Um, well, so uh, broadly from an investment perspective, from an investment perspective, it's pretty broad. Um, so I don't, uh, and that I think is one of the most important changes in healthcare is that it's become so specialized not only in terms of your demographic, but a disease state. Let me say diabetes versus understanding that, wow, these metabolic, you know, these metabolic syndrome, people who get diabetes also tend to have hypertension. You also tend, like we've lost the ability to think systematically about what's going on. And biology is a systems level approach. So we need to actually be, be more holistic. Um, for me passionately, in my personal passion, uh, when I was, uh, uh, um, after my second child, I had two complicated pregnancies. Uh, And then I went through a phase where I had all of these things that were going wrong with me that people didn't understand. And I ended up being diagnosed with a couple of different autoimmune disorders. And what I found during that process was how unbelievably frustrating the experience was because everyone wanted to put me in a bucket. And if I didn't fit a certain path, they just wanted to give me drugs and make me go away. Like, how do I get paid and go away? So I've had my genome mapped multiple times. I've done my microbiome. I've had clinical work. I went and did the health nucleus. I have a 600-page report. Um, and they weren't actionable insights. And so what I realized is that everyone, everyone wanted to just push me into a bucket versus understanding what was happening to me. And that was deeply disturbing to me, number one. Like, actually, let's start. And the other thing is everyone wants to wait until it's symptomatic. Everyone wants to wait until it's bad to deal with it. And our entire healthcare system is predicated upon waiting until there's a problem and then I can get reimbursed and so I care versus preventing the problem in the first place. So if I get my moment of success, you know, way in the future, so we can not only change the technical processes where we can know more about our bodies to prevent disease, but we can also figure out ways to aligning economic incentives to allow that to happen.
0: The Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series is a Stanford eCorner original production supported by the venture capital firm DFJ. The stories and lessons on Stanford eCorner are designed to help you find the courage and clarity to see and seize opportunities. Stanford eCorner is led by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program and Stanford's Department of Management Science and Engineering. To learn more, please visit us at ecorner.stanford.edu.